Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Season of Sports with me, Azra Begovic, where today we're going to be talking about the football financial world. Um, it's a crazy world out there at the moment. Um, lots of things going on, and there's going to be a lot of financial implications. And uh, who better than Kier McGuire, uh, who's the author of the book called The Price of Football, a man with huge insight into the finance of football. And um, he's joining me here today. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you very much, Azmir. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Listen, you, you seem like a busy man everywhere I turn podcasts um tv you're you're on there so well done you yes it has uh there's no proper football to talk about so therefore i I think the broadcasters are are searching for anything to fill the airwaves and and i seem to be the the fall guy at present yeah well no i mean you're you're giving us amazing insight and it's it's a crazy world at the moment obviously everything that's happened over the last couple of months and there's some huge financial issues that are that are that are happening as we as we speak and obviously it could happen um and get even bigger as as we um as we go on i mean i want to touch basically on english football but obviously that can relate to european football as well what is the the biggest financial problem facing the premier league um and the efl i guess i guess the pyramid of english football uh well ultimately any business and and football is a business you know as much as it's a sport we love it's still a business um it, it focuses on two things uh income and costs and as far as uh football is concerned you've, you've got three broad sources of income in match day from fans so so clearly that's that, that's in hibernation at present nothing's taking place so potentially clubs might have to start giving fans money back if, if they have outstanding season tickets. We've then got the broadcast income and the, uh, the broadcast partners of the Premier League domestically have been very patient to date. But uh, potentially they could be having to pay back. I think it's estimated as 768 million sterling. So that'd be close to 900 million euro um, in, uh, in, in money from the broadcasters. Uh, the, the overseas broadcasters of the Premier League is a very successful global product. Um, they are probably more anxious to get their money back. The, the, the domestic broadcasters here in the UK, in, in Sky and BT Sport, they, they need football because football uh, without football, they, they really don't have a product. So therefore, um, I think they're being patient. The overseas broadcasters, you know, Premier League, it's, it's a good one to have on your roster. Um, but, you know, if, if you are playing in Italy, then clearly Serie A is, is the main uh, TV product, that you know, La Liga in Spain and so on. So uh, the, the, the Premier League clubs are concerned that uh, they, they might have start having requests to pay that money back. And the third source of income is uh, is commercial. Uh, it, it's the sponsorship agree- agreements that clubs have with their commercial partners. And again, at present, the clubs are okay, but a lot of those uh, a lot of those deals will expire at the end of the year. Um, a lot of instalments will be due to be received from those sponsors. Um, and if uh, if it's if it's no if it's no play, it's no pay. Because how, how can you sponsor something which isn't taking place? So the, the big fear is that without a resumption of football, um, some money is going to have to start flowing back. And clubs are committed to paying wages, to paying rent um, and other costs. So the losses in the Premier League and the, and the losses um, are around about the two thirds of clubs, even without pandemic, could easily escalate. When we drop into the, the lower leagues in, in the EFL, um, there's less dependency upon TV money and more on 
fans turning up, coming through the turnstiles, watching the matches, buying the catering uh, products, buying the merchandise. Um, and those clubs are, are in a far more dangerous position because they are more dependent upon money from the fans themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an incredible situation, really, because everything filters down from the top, you know, from what I understand. And Steve Parrish wrote, I think, a really brilliant piece in The Times um, a few days ago. And, you know, him stating that as much as the return in football sooner rather than later is not about money, it certainly kind of is because so many people's livelihoods depend on it. You know, there's something like yeah, 700 or odd players out of contract. Uh, I think that might be in the EFL alone. Um, this summer, and that that's obviously going to going to filter down. And I think there's there's obviously ways. I mean, focusing on the revenue alone, what what could clubs do? Because obviously, if if we do go back to playing behind closed doors, the TV revenue will surely go up in a way for TV companies. Because what are people going to do? They're going to watch it on TV. Um, there might is there a way of making that work? Is there ways of coming to agreements to kind of offset losses in different ways? I think I think people have to use technology. They'll have to uh, be progressive and ingenious. Uh, as far as the Premier League is concerned, no doubt there's an awful lot of people that do want to watch it. So what clubs could do is that they could approach their season ticket holders and say, "Look, we we can't physically get you to the ground." But we have we have the streams coming from the broadcasters. And what we'll do is that for every season ticket holder, we will give you a voucher. We will give you a link. So although you can't see physically see the matches at the, at the stadium themselves, um, we will give you an opportunity to experience the match. Now, as a fan, as a season ticket holder myself, it, it, it's not the same. It's not as good. But uh, I think most fans... Uh, will take the view that they want their club to be in existence in in a year's time, in in ten years' time, because that's the nature of being a football fan. And I think a lot of fans will go along with that. A apart from those, of course, who who can't afford it, because uh, as a sideline, one well, as, as a major issue as far as the pandemic is concerned, uh, you know, there will be hundreds of thousands, or if not millions, of people losing their jobs in the UK, um, and clearly that will also be the case in Europe. So I think streaming is one option, and what the uh, what the broadcasters could do is to come to some sort of arrangement whereby uh, perhaps the Premier League will give the the main broadcasters they might give them an extra twenty games free for this season, and then they make the rest uh, available on a streaming service where people do pay uh, the equipment, you know, not the same amount as a match ticket, but even so, you know, it, any any additional money coming in is better than none. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, they could probably add an extra game a weekend, you know, going forward as well. So there's always different ways of doing it. I think the more worrying thing is further down the, the football pyramid, you know, the EFL and the National League and, and how it's going to affect them. I mean, kind of touching on that, because a lot of what people maybe sometimes don't know is, is a lot of small businesses and people are affected by this. You know, the pubs around around the football grounds, for one, you know, the food stands, um, all the all these small little independent uh, pop-up shops and with scarves and football memorabilia. What's going to happen to them? They're, they're they're going to be in terrible trouble. I mean, I I work in Liverpool and uh, Liverpool is is a global football club as well as being a local football club. So so every weekend that Liverpool at home, um, you, you cannot get, you cannot get a hotel. 
uh, you know, every, every hotel's booked out because they've got a huge Scandinavian fan base. They've got a, a Far East fan base that they've got lots of huge, huge number of fans coming across from Ireland. So, uh, you know, Liverpool as a football club does a huge amount for the city. It's the same with Manchester United in Manchester uh, and, you know, we, and you know, clubs in London. Uh, you know, when Spurs uh, are at home because of because of Son's influence, you know, they'll get huge numbers of uh, Korean fans coming across. So a lot of people in the supply chain will be impacted. And sadly, um, their businesses are going to suffer and, and many of those businesses are going to cease to trade. Um, the longer this pandemic continues, uh, the impact on not just on football, but on, on the whole economy is going to be devastating. Um, no, absolutely. And that's that's the thing that's terrifying part about this. You know, how is this going to filter down? So hopefully we can get back to some normality. Um, going back to the, the, the football clubs, I mean, are, are you in do you know of any clubs that are that are in trouble of going going bust because of this um, or any clubs on the edge? Um, you know, I guess there's going to be troubling times for some of them also. Um, I think as far as the Premier League is concerned, most clubs have probably got enough cash to to see them over for a few months. And what they will be hoping is that some agreement will be made for uh, the following season with with the broadcasters. So perhaps you know there will be a few more matches made available, and the broadcasters will buy them. Um, but there's still going to be hole in the finances because the the money from uh, match day it's around about 13% of the total of that of the Premier League, but that's that's still around about 660 million uh, sterling. So that's what 750 million euro. Um, yeah, that that's a big hole to have to fill. Uh, the clubs will be making cost savings. Uh, you know, we, we've already seen potential for redundancies uh, in, in smaller clubs taking place. Uh, I think in some of the big clubs, if if, uh, if the furlough scheme is allowed to be is, is maintained, um, then you know that will be one avenue that more and more clubs will will have to take. They have been criticised to date in the Premier League, but uh, I, I think they'll have no no choice if we're having the same conversation in six months' time and we're not playing any form of football. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a difficult um, difficult time for for a lot of these clubs. Um, yeah, and nobody knows. I think that that's the tricky part. I mean, we're we're quite in limbo here in Italy. I've been here now a couple of weeks and uh, quarantined for fourteen days, and now we're kind of back into doing medical testing and hoping to start training later on this week. But does that mean we're going to get back to action? You know, I don't I don't know. And I think the uncertainty is what's, what's killing everyone because I think if we could. If we could establish that date, that way when we could come back, or even for next season, and we, this season was a write-off, um, at least you can plan, you can offset budgets, right? I mean, am I right in saying that 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 would be really beneficial if we could get some decisions here soon? I think there's a deadline of May 25th from UEFA, so you have to have your plan in place by then. Am I am I right in saying that? That that's correct. The more the more certainty that everybody has, the better. Um, but even so, it would only take a, a, a tiny incident for things to go wrong. Uh, if, if the players are coming back, they're, they, they're in a sealed environment. You know, what happens if, if a coach driver has COVID and he's, he's bringing some referees to a match? We, we could wipe out the whole of the referees of Serie A or, or the Premier League if, if these people are, are traveling together. So the same could happen in a match. You know, a player... Uh, 
doesn't realize he's got the symptoms he's he's got he's not got he's got covid-19 um he plays in a match then the whole of his team the whole of the opposition team would have to be uh quarantined for 14 days as would the referees as would the management team as would the broadcasters so the the implications if it's, it will only take one player to get one to to get uh to catch the disease um, from from any source, and, and then the whole of the the remainder of the season once again will grind to a halt. Kieran McGuire joining me here, uh, the author of the book called Price of Football, and also now with his own podcast, The Price of Football. Am I right in saying that, Kieran? Uh, yes, yes. I, I was I was persuaded to do it um, by somebody from the BBC. I, I wasn't convinced that people were interested in in football finance, but we, we were very fortunate. Uh, one of uh, one of the UK's best uh, stand-up comedians. Uh, we, we approached him, Kevin Day, and he's uh, he's he's agreed to come on the show. So he he makes it. He makes what is a very dull subject, and I'm a very dull man. He he makes it entertaining. So yeah, we're we're doing okay. We're we're very pleased with the uh, with the level of audience that we've we've generated to date. Well, I've listened to a couple episodes, and you guys um, you guys are doing a great job at the moment. So well done for providing the great insight and obviously the, the content as well. Um, um, just a couple of things I also want to touch on was obviously cases like like France shutting down their league and, and calling it a day basically for the, this season, Holland as well. I mean, how does that work in terms of teams that are relegated and could there be lawsuits? But if you had a lawsuit, what would you be suing against? You know, this is, this is a... This is a, this is a world pandemic. I mean, what, what, what crisis? What, what could you do? Or what would you sue against? Well, you you could sue um, you you could sue the leagues themselves because at the start of the season you have committed to play um, you know it could be you know thirty four games if you're in an eighteen team league or or thirty eight games if you're in a twenty team league and if you are being relegated without the ability to play the full season you could argue that your club has been discriminated against. And the same goes for those clubs who are trying to get promoted. Um, so even if we say, well, the, the top two teams in a division are going to be promoted upwards, the sides who are third, fourth and fifth, they might say, well, hold on, we've just struck some form. Um, you know, we feel that we, we had some easy fixtures coming ahead. And so therefore we were in a false position when the league was terminated. And therefore we're going to sue for some form of financial compensation because we would have generated more money had we been promoted. And for those clubs coming down, they will argue that they will have suffered financially because they'll only be getting the money from the lower leagues if they are relegated. And, and therefore they've been denied playing in the high leagues. So that will be the nature of the, the legal claims. And, and certainly speaking to some lawyers, um, they are th th their belief is that if seasons are not completed, then the lawyers will be very busy. And, and I think they, it's fair to say they will be very well, uh, very well remunerated as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting because it's, it's, you know, you're almost damned if you do and damned if you don't, because if leaks continue and you risk health and different things um, that could, that could have an effect, but if you don't, then you risk legal cases and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's just an incredible situation, really um, one that we can't seem to get, uh, get any clarity on, but Hey, such as um, such as the world that we live in now. Um, I want to touch on the transfer market. Obviously we understand that the transfer market will be hit. I'm sure teams will spend less, which I, I firmly think is a good thing. You know, I think this is, this is a good time for football and sport in general to kind of, get a little grip on itself, have a little check 
uh, on itself and maybe get some things back in order. Do you think the transfer market, I mean, when could it, could it be? That, that's the thing. Nobody even knows when the transfer market could be. And do you, what, do you, what sort of impact do you foresee happening on the transfer market? I, th- I think the transfer market is is going to be mixed. There's there's a chance that it could be extended over a longer period of time, simply because uh, UEFA say that we don't know how how can we commit ourselves to a summer market and a January market when we don't know whether football is taking place um, in August at the end end of the summer market and is football going to be taking place in January as well? So I think there'll be an extension of the period of time of the market, and, and the other issue is as you rightly mentioned will be that uh, market prices are likely to fall unless the selling club is in a very strong financial position. So uh, you know, there's a lot of talk here in the UK at present uh, about uh, Jordan Sancho uh, coming back to the UK and there's, he's been linked with, with Liverpool, with Manchester United, with Chelsea. Um, Dortmund uh, have, a, have a very strong balance sheet. They're a very well-run club. So I think they'll be able to resist the initial offers made by clubs. Now, if we contrast that with some other clubs in Europe and also in the UK, if they've if they are short of cash, if they're wondering, do they have sufficient money to pay the, the next wage bill? And let's say uh, the, the wages are due for the end of July and it's the 20th of July and they've got no money, then the chances are they're going to accept lower offers for their star players um, than they would have done 12 months ago. There has been a report done uh, by one of the uh, analysis agencies in Switzerland, Switzerland, I think it's called CIS, uh, and they estimated around about two to three weeks ago that the overall transfer market was, in their opinion, uh, going to fall by around about 30%. If the pandemic extends for a long period of time, there's only going to have one impact upon prices, except for the, the players going from one elite club to another, and that's going to be a very severe depression in prices. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the lower, the smaller clubs will feel that even more because, you know, maybe a player that they sold for 10 million before, they'll only be able to sell for five. And that that would have a big impact on their finances, wouldn't it? Very much so. And different clubs of different business models. Some clubs deliberately try to recruit players young and then sell them on to profit. Um, and, and that makes up for the fact that they've got less income being generated. So if we take a look at Chelsea, um, Ch- Chelsea have a huge number of youth players and academy players who, who they, they bring through the system. They then, they then loan them out to other clubs in Europe they, those clubs uh, that the players then prove themselves and Chelsea go on to sell them. Uh, uh, Chelsea are going to miss out, I think, in the future markets because the buying clubs will say, well, yes, we do like your player, but actually there's three or up, three or four other players um, in Europe who, who can take up his same position and that the, their selling clubs are desperate for cash and therefore they're selling them at very low prices. So it, it will depress and it will certainly impact upon those clubs who historically have been good at generating profits from player sales. Absolutely. Absolutely interesting times ahead. The last thing I want to touch on, it's, it's kind of a, interesting subject for me and I, I did a piece with Henry Winter the other day and I mentioned this and he said if there's one thing you could change in football what would you do and I said I, w- I would introduce salary caps um, I, I like the American model in, in that sense I think one it provides competitive balance of course but I do think salary caps and I, I think it would be very difficult to implement in the Premier League initially anyway um, maybe even so the championship 
But I think League One, League Two and below, I think a salary cap is necessary. There's too many clubs, I feel like, that are that are struggling uh, for whatever reason. You know, I looked at some of your reports and teams spending two pounds for every pound they make is, is, is ludicrous to me. I don't understand how this is possible. Um, I think that there has to be more responsibility by the clubs to run their clubs in a better way. Um, so I would, I would really strongly think about introducing salary caps. Where, where do you stand on that subject? Well, uh, for salary caps to work, um, they, they need to be policed properly. We, we presently do have a salary cap in Leagues 1 and 2. Um, but there are ways right. of getting around it. And the problem is, is that there are smart accountants and there are smart lawyers and they will find loopholes in the rules. So it is difficult to to implement. As far as the Premier League is concerned, the Premier League di also did have a salary cap until the start of this season. But club owners voted to abolish it. So unless there is a will to implement cost control in the form of a salary cap. And unless that will is coming from all of the club owners, I, I think we're going to be in a very dangerous situation. The worst division in terms of a salary cap would be the championship. And the reason for that is that you have clubs coming down from the Premier League receiving parachute payments. And your first year of parachute payments is around about £41 million. Well, the average income for a championship club who is not in receipt of parachute payments is around about £30 million. So you're already a long way behind those clubs um, in, in receipt of parachute payments. And parachute payments have been described today by uh, Rick Parry, who's head of the EFL, as an evil that needs to be eradicated. Uh, the problem is, is that parachute payments improve the competitive balance in the Premier League, but they reduce the competitive balance in the Championship because it allows club owners in the Premier League to go out and sign talented players on three, four, five-year contracts from Europe, and they know that whilst they will get a pay deduction if the club's relegated, that pay deduction might be 20 to 25%, whereas if you were to really price in the difference in income between the Premier League and the Championship, those pay cuts would have to be in the region of 85 to 90%, and I can't see many talented players agreeing to terms of that nature. Yeah. I think uh, it's it's a fascinating. What was the salary cap in League One, League Two? Out of curiosity, what what is the, the what is the situation in, in League One? Uh, the salary cap is sixty percent of turnover, plus uh, what they call football fortune, which is cup income, uh, money from owners, and and transfer income. So it's sixty percent in League One, and it's fifty percent in League Two. Um, but you know, trying to implement it is is difficult. You know, the EFL has limited resources itself. Um, and we're assuming here that the clubs want to apply the scheme. You know, I, I'm aware of um, some clubs. What they will do is that they will say, well, the, the salary cap only applies to players. So therefore, perhaps they'll employ the player's mother or his his partner or or, or a, a close family friend or things of this nature. I'm, I'm aware of some clubs who are paying school fees for for uh, the the partners of um, players as a way of getting around the salary cap. So it, if, if clubs want to find a way around the rules, they, they will do. So unless everybody buys into the, the, the salary cap, it's going to be a really tough job to monitor. 
Because I, I think, because that's, again, if you're saying it's 60% of, of something, um, when you look at the wide, as you say, wide variety of clubs in those leagues, again, that, 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 that destroys competitive balance because, you know, bigger clubs, 60% is going to be much more than a smaller club, 60%. I, I'm thinking a flat, straight cap, really. And, and if, if your income, if, and I think the way it's calculated in America, for example, is if the income from one league, as you say, is, is 100 million, then that 100 million gets distributed equally to all the clubs. And then obviously they can have a percentage as well of their revenue. So they have to almost calculate a flat cap. I think, would that ever pass or do you don't see that ever happening? Um, well, there has been talk of a, a flat cap um, in leagues one and two. But I mean, in terms of the NFL and, and the NFL system works really well in many ways, partly due to the fact that it's a sealed league because there is no relegation. So what we also yeah. see in, in the in the NFL is as well as having a, a salary cap. So I think it's something like one hundred and eighty five million dollars per season, something of that nature. Um, yeah. You also have a, a very more democratic distribution of income between the clubs so all merchandising is split evenly between all clubs in the division all the tv money is also split evenly between the clubs in the division and when it comes to match day tickets the home club keeps 60 percent the other 40 percent goes into a pool and that is equally distributed as well so you've got the same amount of money being spent on wages and you've got the same amount of money being received by clubs I can't see Manchester United and Liverpool agreeing to that in the Premier League. I can't see Sunderland and Portsmouth agreeing to that in League One. And, and that's the problem that I think we face. Um, is, it, is it too late to, to have equal distributions of income? You know, it, the, the big clubs in the Premier League, they keep pushing to have the uh, TV distribution model re revised and revamped so that they get more of the money. But they've already got huge advantages in, in terms of ticket sales and their commercial partner arrangements. Fascinating. Fascinating, isn't it? Um, well, it's interesting times, Karen. I mean, I really appreciate your insights. Um, can't wait to see obviously what happens in the world and obviously in the world of football. Um, hope you're well. Hope your family's well and safe. Um, I really appreciate you coming here in the season of sports and joining me and giving such great insight. Um, guys, make sure you follow Karen uh, on Twitter, at Karen McGuire. Um, make sure you listen to his podcast, Price of Football. Get the book as well. Uh, some great stuff in there. And um, really appreciate you coming on, Karen. Thanks a lot. Thanks for very time. much for the invite, Asmir, and stay safe. And good luck to everybody in Milan and the whole of Italy. Thank you. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Karen McGuire. Um, I think that was an awesome insight, especially in the uncertain times that we live in now. Um, I think it's been great. So really appreciate Karen for coming on. Make sure you check out his book, Price of Football, and his podcast as well, which is called Price of Football. Um, so we're going to get into the huddle right away, but obviously a couple things to touch on in the world of sport. Andy Dalton signing with Dallas Cowboys as a backup quarterback. I think incredible stroke of genius from Jerry Jones and his crew. You know, he's going to provide great cover for $3 million a year. They released Cooper Rush, who was the previous backup. I thought it was an incredibly smart move and really well done to the Cowboys because that gives you so much insurance. And now these days, you know, the backup quarterback, I think, is more valuable than ever. I think you see what happens to teams um, who don't have that position filled. Now, of course, Andy Dalton's a premium player and he doesn't come available every single day to take up that sort of spot. But, you know, I think that gives him a lot of insurance, especially with a little bit of uncertainty with Dak Prescott's um, going forward. 
episodes five and six of the last dance are out so can't wait to watch that um you know that's uh something we all get to look forward to on a on a sunday evening um okay let's get into our questions from in from our fans into the in the huddle make sure you keep getting them into us on on twitter facebook and instagram we're all we're all over social media milan obsession asks Milan are testing players and resuming limited individual training this week as per government. Although we know they're still trying to determine if Syria will return this summer, how does it feel to be to be taking the first steps to returning? Are you apprehensive? Well, I mean, it, it, we're taking it all step by step. You know, we've got medical testing, then then hopefully training in the small individual um, groups um, from there, and then and then we'll see what happens. You know, we're we're very much day to day. I don't think anyone's looking too far ahead. But we're all hopeful we're going to get to play again. We all miss football. We all love the game. So there's nothing more we like than uh, than training and playing and being with our teammates. So from my point of view, if we can do that and we get the green light, then, then that would be awesome. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But again, don't want to plan too far ahead, really. It's such such a delicate situation. I think too many unknowns before we can really uh, determine things going forward. Um, so great question. Uh, but yeah, that brings us to the end, guys. You know, I really appreciate you all listening. Uh, we'll be back next week, I would imagine, with another episode. Um, keep listening to us. We're on Audio Boom, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, get it, in, get them in. Get your questions in. Get reviews in. Uh, let us know what you think, and uh, can't wait to hear you uh, from you guys. Be back with you very, very soon. Thanks a lot.